This morning, if you have any attention span left at all, I want to introduce the season of Advent. Despite a ridiculous Christmas video and some would say an equally ridiculous Christmas jumper, we have so much of Christmas all around us, but we're not there yet. So Advent, Advent just gets overlooked. It gets left out as the shops swing from back to school in September to filling the shelves with tinsel and mince pies via a curious period in the middle where you can buy a vampire costume to eat your Christmas pudding with. But Advent is important. The word Advent means to come to. So we could call this season, It's Coming. Advent is the waiting, the expecting, the anticipation of Christmas. Advent is the season of, look, there's Christmas, but we're not there yet. It's the bit before. It's not happy Christmas, it's holidays are coming. Before the twinkling lights, Advent is the darkness. Before the fun and games, Advent is the struggle. Before the feasting, Advent is the need. So, despite the jollity that's all around us, to rob us of Advent, to skip straight to Christmas, not only risks cheapening the joy of Christmas, but it denies a real part of our experience of that struggle, that need, and that darkness. That's why we want to take some time the next couple of weeks living in Advent before we skip on to Christmas. In the vineyard, you will often hear the catchphrase quoted, the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, by which we mean that God has broken into the world now, that he's available to meet now, that his peace and his joy and even his power that comes with his kingdom are here on earth now. And yet, this world is still mostly in darkness. There is such pain and such suffering the control of the world is still largely in the enemy's hands, not God's. Even if it's a hollow control, because the enemy's been defeated, he's not been fully dethroned yet. God's kingdom is here, now, and not yet. So Advent reminds us, focuses us, on the not yet. And it does so in two ways at the same time. Firstly, through Advent, we relive with God's people Israel, the anguish of not yet seeing God's saving power, of waiting for his promised savior, waiting, hoping for him to take away the suffering and the pain of this world. We wait, as God's people waited, for our savior to come and bring in God's kingdom. We wait for the savior Messiah, that is Jesus the Christ, to come at Christmas. But Advent isn't just a time for looking back, for reliving a time gone by, pretending that we're a cold shepherd sat waiting on a hillside hoping for a saviour, and those shepherds got really cold filming that day. Advent isn't just looking back, it's for now. It's for the East Fife of 2018 with our own not yet, our own struggles, our own needs, our own yearnings that God bring his kingdom in fully soon. So as well as looking back, the second half of our Advent experience says, thank you, Lord, that you've introduced the kingdom of heaven into this world. Now, please 
Could you bring it everywhere? So Advent is both waitings at once, both tensions at once, and I think it's a valuable thing to have. If we have ever wrestled with pain, with ill health in body or in mind, with worries, with burdens, then Advent is for us. And I think that's all of us. If you've ever felt like the promises of God's great saving power don't match the difficulties that we face in our own situations, then Advent is for us. Our reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, written more than 700 years before Jesus arrived. And it's a familiar passage for this time of year, looking ahead to the promise of God bringing a savior. If you have a Bible or Bible device with you, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9? We'll start at verse 1, and the passage will appear on the screen in the English Standard Version. And Anna, where's that microphone gone? Oh, you hit it over here. Anna is very kindly going to read it for us as soon as I furnish her with a microphone. Thank you, mate. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. From the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, you will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. It's a passage with great hope, huge hope. It's a promise of something coming into a place of great pain. When this reading's usually given around Christmas, the first verse is often skipped out. Could we have that back on the screen, please? It doesn't fit with the poetic style of the verses that follow. If you have been reading along in the Bible, uh, you'll notice that from verse 2, it's formatted like a poem, but verse 1 doesn't really fit like that. In fact, it seems to flow better with the verses before it, from chapter 8. The last couple of verses of chapter 8, from verse 21 onward, read, They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they'll look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. What a sorry picture. People in the land distressed, hungry for food, and deeper again, I think, hungry for something meaningful that will satisfy our souls. Angry people speaking with contempt against God, against our leaders. Sound familiar? Looking around with no hope and things only getting darker. 
I reckon that could describe our seemingly darkening times. It's into this region that God speaks. It's to these people that he shows himself and his kindness. Another reason why we don't often hear the first verse of chapter 9 is that these areas in the north of Israel are pretty obscure to us. And so the significance of these places is rather lost on us. But in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, Matthew uses a quote of this passage in Isaiah to introduce Jesus' work on earth. And so, the first followers of Jesus clearly saw some significance in these verses. Now, when he, that's Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew makes a special note that Jesus begins his work of bringing in the kingdom of God, saying it's so close you can reach out and grab it in the very regions that Isaiah prophesied that God would make glorious to the very people who were in such pain. Whatever distress, whatever hunger, whatever darkness we have that we're battling, God's promise through Isaiah was in verse 2, to the people who walked in darkness, who see a great light. To those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, it's on them a light has shone. Christmas is celebrating that great light that the people in darkness saw. That those very people who were lost in darkness were the ones who God sent his son to serve first. Albeit 700 years of painful waiting later. But that's Christmas. We're not there yet. For this morning, we're still in the bit of Narnia that is always winter and never Christmas. We're still in the anguish of Advent. Yes, the promised hope is glorious. For those before Jesus, before the Son of God stepped into the earth, the promise of God sending a Savior was glorious. They didn't know quite what to expect, but verse 3 speaks of great joy, of harvest time, of piles of treasure and dividing up the spoil. It's a picture of riches, of plenty. God is going to be overflowingly generous with us, they thought. Verse 4 told them that the oppressive powers weren't to have any hold over them anymore. Just like the army of Midian being supernaturally smashed by the Lord, using only a handful of faithful souls, God was going to deliver his people from an enemy controlling them and oppressing them. And verse 5 told them that war clothes wouldn't be needed anymore. Battle armor can be got rid of. Peace is on its way. God is drawing an end to violent battles, which is a pretty great promise. So, did God fulfill it? Did Jesus do those things? Yes, and not yet. 
Jesus did bring in the kingdom of heaven. He brought in a new relationship between us and Father God that means we are not just forgiven, but we are seen. We are loved. His light shines on us. He does fill us with his presence. As children reunited to our Father in a new way, by what Jesus gave to us through his death and resurrection, we are doted upon, we are blessed, we are treated. We're the blessed ones who get to see God pour out miracles in us and through us. Deep peace and deep, deep joy. If you have a relationship with God, you're one of the formerly burdened ones, set free by God, no longer under the pressure of our oppressors. Sin, addiction, has no hold on us because of Jesus' power, given to us as a gift to set us free. This isn't just a set of nice words that get quoted from the front of a, a pulpit or a carol concert. This is a spiritual reality. This is a lifting off of oppression and burden that really does transform lives. And this was a new and a wonderful thing that Jesus brought in. Jesus didn't just remove any one army from power only to be replaced by another empire. Jesus destroyed the power of the devil who is trapping us in permanent sin. Yes, we might want the oppression of this life to get shot of. And yeah, it's real. But Jesus' fix was an eternal one that we see the echoes of not the fulfillment of, yet. The kingdom of heaven has come. Ask any person who has recently met God, who has a clear memory of their life before, to hold side by side against the gift that God has given them. God has brought his kingdom into this world. But we're not there yet. We're not yet in heaven not yet in a fully restored world. Yes, we have pockets of it. Yes, we have shining spotlights of joy. But the whole world hasn't been transformed. We live in the tension of a now and a not yet. The kingdom has broken in. Lives have been transformed. I know mine has. But Advent is a time when we get to live with that tension out loud. Where we get to wear the pain of the not yetness to reject the paper mask of Santa's smile and to cry out to God, how long, O Lord, until you come and sort this out? Some wish it could be Christmas every day. And in the sense of meeting God, yeah, I want that. But in the tinsel sense, in the Christmas jumper sense, living in a permanent Christmas can leave our faith leaving, feeling false or empty, unreal. Why do we have all the tinsel and the fairy lights when life can have such pain in it? The celebration can ring hollow. Celebrations when we're suffering can leave us with a disconnect between what church and culture claim as a happy season full of red cups and gingerbread lattes and the pain and the darkness that we're still feeling. But if we allow Advent to do its work, to connect to the darkness that we know to be real in this world, and allow God to break in there, really, then our celebration that Jesus came into the world is a celebration that God broke into that world, the real, the painful one, actually. 
That's why it's so important that it's the people who walked in darkness that have seen a great light. God doesn't want us to fake it until we make it with him. God wants our honest, stumbling, humble hearts. He wants our brokenness. If you feel like the people who walk in darkness, then God's promise is that you will see a great light. Jesus has come. And the fullness of the kingdom is coming when Jesus comes back into this world to make all things right. The introduction was earth-shatteringly powerful. The conclusion will be, well, stick around. And verses 6 and 7 show that this promised hope, this mighty act of God, we're going to break in in such an unusual place. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Those are incredible words. And snuck in the middle of there, or maybe not so snuck, a child called Everlasting Father. A child, a human, called Mighty God. I can forgive the people of God for struggling with this. It's a lot to get your head around. But the promise was, there will be a child born to us who will rule us in peace and prosperity described above, and his name will be God and Father. This is a claim that God is stepping into the world, which is a huge promise. And his throne, once it's been established, and it has, will increase without end. There is such hope here, such promise, such deliverance, such protection, such blessing. Christmas is huge in God's relationship with us, his precious children. Christmas is glorious in excelsis Deo. But we're not there yet. This Advent, can I encourage you to take some time out of your busy Christmas preparations to spend some honest time with God, wrestling and praising through the hope that led up to Jesus being given in the first place. And to spend some time lifting your brokenness to him, asking him to come now, even now, Lord Jesus, into those areas of your life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have brought the kingdom of God into our lives that you are here with your peace and your joy and your restoring work in us now. Please come, Lord. Bring the kingdom of God into our lives. Bring your peace and your joy and your restoration fully into the places that still hurt, 
the places where we're still waiting, in anguish, where the kingdom of God is not yet. Friends, it's a useful thing, a valuable thing for our relationship with God, for our reality and our honesty with him, that whilst Christmas is very much coming, we're not there yet. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray for you. Lord, let the tinsel and the fairy lights and the, the jollity of Christmas be such a joy to us, be so real to us, because of the reality of the darkness that's gone before it. Would you meet us in whatever darkness we're walking through? Would you come, would you come and bring reality and transformation Father, strip away our masks that stand between us and you. And would you come? Would you bring your kingdom more and more fully into each of our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.